Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Isaiah Jackson, author and Bitcoin consultant. We talk about Bitcoin, the Black American experience, and the issues surrounding the current environment. Isaiah also tells us why the political system really sucks for Black people and how Bitcoin can help. Isaiah Jackson, how's everything going, man? Going great. Amazing right now. Thank you yeah. for asking, my brother. Yeah, where are you at? Right now, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, kind of doing the both coast right now. I still have my place in LA, so by coastal right now. Hmm. And how are things there with the pandemic and economic shutdown and everything? It's a little weird. You know, everybody has to, you know, adhere to these new rules. So it's a little different, but not too bad. It feels like everybody's getting back to it. Hmm. Like, are you able to travel back and forth normally or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done it a lot recently because I do have a uh, child on the way. So I'm Hmm. kind of sitting down for now. But yeah, yeah. Getting back and forth is pretty easy. Airlines are a lot emptier. I like that. (laughs) Well, congratulations on your upcoming child. That's always like giant thing for anyone's life. So that's Awesome. All right. So obviously, I have you on here to talk about race and America and all that stuff and, you know, try to relate Bitcoin to it. But can you first tell us your story of how you got into Bitcoin? Your book, Bitcoin and Black America, I think covers a lot of it. But for my audience that hasn't heard of it, can you summarize that for us? Oh, yeah, Uh, definitely. So I got involved with Bitcoin in 2013. And during that time period, you know, some of your listeners may not remember, but Mount Gox was big. <laughs> Silk Road was all the talk at the time. So it was a definitely Wild West time when I heard of it. I heard of it from a banker, ironically. So once I got that information and, and saw that it was sort of tech based and tech was my background, I looked more into it. And like the book goes to describe was like I saw it as a way to make money. And then eventually I realized it was way bigger than that. And from that point, started building businesses that involved Bitcoin, started educating and consulting over the years, you know, did my fair share of trading and mining back then. But, you know, I'm more of a dollar cost average guy now. But Bitcoin, as far as how I got involved, you know, learned from some friends. And then I kind of used the media as a launching point, because in my opinion, anytime the media tries to say something is bad or something is going to affect the status quo, they always kind of push it down. And I saw similarities with that and with the black community. And that's what led me to writing the book eventually. So that's sort of my journey there. And so glad I got involved with Bitcoin, looking at politics in America and how things are going economically. I wouldn't have any hope if it wasn't for Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So can you tell our audience, like, what were you doing before Bitcoin? Like, what's the tech background that you had? And, you know, what was the work that you were involved in? Oh, yeah. So I attended NC State for computer science and I started out as a teacher. It's just something that I always wanted to do. And from that point, I got into the IT world for the next five years. So I was doing IT work for a law firm for a long period of time and then left the workforce in 2017 to work with Bitcoin full time. So Mm. as far as doing IT and software development, things of that nature and having best friends who were involved with IBM and Cisco, learned a lot of networking stuff. And of course, with the tech background, I got Bitcoin a little bit earlier than others. So that worked out pretty well. Mm. And was that the case for a lot of your colleagues or was it just something that you were involved in? Well, with my colleagues, the only thing that sort of got them involved with what I was saying 
was mm. the fact that I would say it all the time. I know some, <laughs> people, <laughs> some people who get into Bitcoin is one of those things where you can't stop talking about it because it makes so much sense. You're like, you know, what else is there to talk about at this point? So <laughs> when you talk about it enough, they get involved. And I think my friends with the tech background were more apt to get into it than those with economic background. Because with tech, you know, it's it either works or it doesn't. The economics, you know, they're kind of taught a system that's a hundred years old and mm. they won't change even if there's a better option. It's like, well, this is what we got. This is what I'm going with. So yeah, I think my tech friends took it pretty well. Economics, not so much. Mm. That's interesting because, you know, obviously you have a tech background and, you know, if you're working with other tech people, then they kind of get it. But at least in my experience, there are some tech people that just kind of refuse to get it. Have you seen that? Oh yes, absolutely. And I think the higher up, in tech, I went, you know, less people believed it only because I don't know if it was they just couldn't believe it was possible or they didn't really understand what it was supposed to do. Either way, it was mostly an older crowd, older tech crowd that didn't really go with it. But yeah, some people just flat out refused it. Some people were like, I don't even want to explore it. So needless to say, those people have eaten their words over <laughs> the last seven years or so. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it was definitely a push with some people. Yeah. So your book is addressed more or less to Black America. How's the reception been? Like, is the Black community embracing Bitcoin or are they a little more hesitant about it? What's the reception been like? Reception has been amazing. You know, I was trying to cover all of my bases when I wrote the book to make sure that I didn't create this, you know, sort of media-like mindset that all Black people are poor and mm. we don't have anything and I'm here to save us. Like, no, no, that's <laughs> that's not what this is. <laughs> it's literally just, you know, 80% of the book, if you replace Black America with whatever community you want, you could solve the same issues. I just directed it towards my community, my family. And, you know, we don't often have, you know, people in our community that direct their message towards Black people. Uh, it's like mm. people are scared to work within their own community. And the, the best part about it is it excludes no one. We know Bitcoin is for everyone. So even though my audience was towards Black people, the reception across the board has been amazing across racial lines, social demographic lines, everything. People get it and they understand uh, where I was coming from. And at the end of the day, when it comes to the Federal Reserve and the, the real fight, it's way bigger than race. So I think that was the overall message. So it's been received extremely well. Yeah, there's something that you said that kind of caught my attention, which is that, you know, there is this sort of stereotype that black people are poor or something like that. But of course, that's not true. There's plenty of richer, you know, black people. And there is this sort of conflation of race and class, right? Like where, you know, people think, okay, well, you're black, therefore you must be poor and you have to be helped in this way. What's your view on that? And how do you use Bitcoin to help people understand that those two are not the same thing. Oh, yeah. So in the current system, we have inflation, as you know, essentially makes everybody poor over time. So, you know, when you talk about how black people are perceived, the problems we have are sort of expounded even more simply because of some of the laws that were put in place based on race. However, because of the social dynamics and how inflation affects everybody, it ended up being more social than anything. And one of the things I wanted to to make sure I expressed was the deflationary system of Bitcoin can turn around how we view money. And in the long run, a lot of the issues that Black people have that I think are specific to the Black community, we have to start at the root. You solve the money, a lot of the other problems can be solved as well. You don't have the you know constant 
taxation and inflation-based economy taking away your wealth, you start to see Bitcoin as a store of value. So people that, you know, a lot of times in the Black community never invested, this is their first investment. And when they saw how easy it was to buy Bitcoin, accumulate, I think all of those things factored in into that description that I've said before and what I've said often on other shows. So yeah, I think the Black community definitely needs Bitcoin. But as I've always said, everybody, I believe, will need it at some point. And what do you perceive to be the problems in the Black community that can be solved by having sound money? So one statistic that people may have seen a lot is that it was estimated that the median wealth of the Black community will be $0 by the year 2053. And that was an an article that really struck me because for one, where did they get the data that, you know, our median value will be there? But the fact that it seems like a possibility, I just wanted to make sure that in my lifetime, I would at least come up with one solution that would change that. And I think when you have better money that, you know, over time, because of network effect increases in value, that situation will not exist. So some of the other things were this, the fact that the banking industry has discriminated based on race for decades, you know, some things sort of like redlining specific towards black people. And now it's very slick. They use zip codes. But if you already put black people in one area and said they can't leave, and then now you discriminate based on zip codes, it's a very slick way to have racial discrimination. And I write about that in the book. I have, you know, about a half dozen examples from different banks. And it's not something that's like long time ago. We're talking about from 2012 up to now, like recent. Mm. So these things were, you know, specific to the black community. And I wanted to make sure that if we were going to have any leverage in sort of the political or social world, the money has to be fixed and we should be willing to, to have peaceful protests with Bitcoin. Mm. And do people in the Black community see this as a peaceful protest? Because, you know, obviously that's a big political topic these days, having peaceful protests and so on. Like, is this an alternative that you can see, you know, taking some of the political, you know, I don't know, cachet away from some of the other types of more, you know, Black Lives Matter kind of thing? Like, why do you see the role of Bitcoin in that? Oh, yeah. So the way I see it is if me and others have a voice where we can actually explain to people that, hey, marching mm-hmm. in the streets has done nothing. We've been marching mm-hmm. since the 60s, since the 40s. If you march in the streets, you risk physical injury. You don't actually get your message across because if you're out there in droves, people see it and then they're like, OK, well, we know what you're talking about. You don't really get a nuanced argument. Also, with Bitcoin, you can slowly just move your money out of this system from your couch. You don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> it's much safer because as a black person, I understand that when you go out and protest, you risk dying or mm. risk being injured, depending on, you know, whatever, which the risk reward is not there. The reward from this marching has not brought any sort of change whatsoever. But economically, if you can from your home or from your laptop or from your computer, just move your money out of banks into Bitcoin and give them a reason to want to treat you correctly, at the very least, you can, like I've said before, have leverage. And I think as far as peaceful protest, there's nothing better. Because what are we protesting? If Mm -hmm. you're protesting some of the social things that happen, that's fine, but that's very surface level. We want to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is the money system is broken. So you have a cash grab from a lot of institutions. And even though there are racial elements, most of it is social. And once you get to the real root, which is the money, then you can say, hey, I'm protesting by buying Bitcoin or using Bitcoin instead. And I'm more effective because 
that is the root of the problem. So I think once we get that message out, more black people will be apt to, you know, at least listening to it. But right now we did have one guy. He was on the steps in L.A. for a protest. And the first thing he said was black people need to buy Bitcoin. That was the first thing he said. That's the first time I've ever heard that. It was actually funny because a lot of people reached out and thought it was me. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. There's other black people that know about Bitcoin. Trust mm-hmm. me. <laughs> plenty of them. Yeah. Plenty. Yeah. I was going to say, trust me, there's plenty. And his name is I Am The Character on Twitter. But yes, you know, that message is starting to get out. Like, hey, man, it's more about the money than it is sort of these social issues, which it stems from, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What do you hope that that will do for the black? What sort of changes do you see coming as a result of something like that? Oh, yeah. So if you want to look at group economics as a solution to, I guess, building everybody, everyone up, I think what Bitcoin gives us the ability to do is implement it into our daily lives as a store of value. That's great. I believe that long term, we can have sort of a circular economy. Once, in my opinion, the unit of account era of Bitcoin comes around, you can use it as a circular economy and shut out you know, the banking and the government regulators at a certain point. One thing I do want to see, like I said, I always say we need leverage. Whenever you have discussions, so to say, politically about how black community, this should happen or we should be funded for this, you don't have any leverage if you're basically just returning the money back to the same system that you got it from. So if you say, hey, we will leave this system completely and move over to Bitcoin, at that point, you have people's attention. And I think that is the broader view of what I see. And in my opinion, small business is the backbone of any strong middle class. And anytime we have businesses, you know, being created at record pace like we see now, especially with black women, I think it's like 450% increase since last year. When you see a boom like that, one of the things you should see is, hey, why don't we kill two birds with one stone? We can strengthen the community with small business and we can move our currency or keep your cash reserves in Bitcoin. We're starting to see it already with bigger companies. So I think mm. that should happen with some of the small businesses in the black community. So like micro strategy, uh, Tahanini, restaurants, places like that, we can use that template and start to move away to a different system. So what's been causing more black businesses to come online? Like what's the cause of this boom? Because I actually wasn't aware that black women, for example, were starting a lot more businesses recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the second biggest boom in Black-owned businesses being created since the late 1800s. And Mm. the reason I think, for one, believe, how can I put this? I think Trump actually motivated Black people to get their shit together, so to say, because, you know, and I'm not a political person. I don't care either way. I don't think I think that's a clown show. But in the Black community is overwhelmingly Democratic for whatever reason. So when Trump got elected, the media did a great job of saying how terrible he is. Your life's going to be over. You're going to die. Your baby's going to die. So it sort of scared people into saying, hey, I got to do something. You know what I mean? I got to, you know, get it together. And I think starting a business, you know, more black people I've heard talk about trading and getting into investments and owning assets. I think social media has helped with that a lot. And I believe having good examples of it working, all of those things are sort of coming together at the same time. You know, from a political standpoint, like I said, I don't really care who's in office, but I do like the fact that Trump kind of lit a fire under the black community, because I think if you can create wealth long term based on the fact that, hey, I just want to make sure I'm good because I don't know where the future will end up. I don't care what the reason is, as long as it works. <laughs> I think that was sort of a catalyst because, like I said, overwhelmingly Democratic, which is, you know, it's kind of weird, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Why is that? Like, that's always sort of like 
been a weird thing to me. Like I immigrated to the U.S. back in like 1985, and that was one of the first things that I noticed was that you know, black people vote Democrat more or less. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to give anyone much leverage because you get taken for granted by one side and the other side has no interest in trying to court you because you have that reputation. What's going on? Well, dating back to the Civil Rights Act, Mm -hmm. before that, most Black Americans were conservative. If you look at the principles of a lot of the conservative people, for one, very religious. I mean, 85% of the Black community attends religious services at least once a week. Having smaller government and less taxes, of course, if you make less money, which most of the black community did at that time, you want less taxes. So we agree with that. A lot of the conservative ideals, I think socially, were accepted by a lot of older black people. So when the Civil Rights Act came in in 64, that was a great power play by the Democrats. Even though from a racist standpoint, Democrats have been involved with the KKK just as much as they've been involved with other racial things. And the Republicans sort of have that stigma now that they're the racist party. So it's always struck me as weird as well, because we're so overwhelmingly Democratic or Democrat, there is no leverage on the Republican side to have any type of plan. There's no leverage on the Democrat side because they're like, well, we got your vote anyway. They've gone so far that Joe Biden was like, you're not black if you don't vote for me. Like, what? That's (laughs) insulting. Like, who who are you talking to? And (laughs) as a black man who understands how business works, all of the political jargon is bullshit to me. I don't care what they're saying. I care what you're doing. From a business standpoint, this has been the best time economically for a lot of black people. And it was during a Trump administration. So I don't really care who's in office. He can be Republican. He can be Democrat. To me, it's business. And I think once black people focus more on that, and I think the media does a great job of pushing that to the forefront. Like, hey, hey, if you're black, you should be voting like this. If you voted for Trump, you vote for death. If you vote for, you know, if you don't vote Democrat, blah, 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 which is weird because Democrats want to tax you more. A lot of times their social programs don't actually help black people. They haven't done anything. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons wealth was taken out of the community as far as black men was the crime bill of 94 signed by two Democrats, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. So, you know, I find it weird that the, pol- the political game is taken so seriously. But I do understand that the Civil Rights Act was so big. It was like, man, the, the Republicans are so racist. I don't give a shit about not getting actual things from the Democrat Party. I'm just going to vote for them. Uh, so I think that's what happened in 64. And then that was passed down through the generations. And I think we're starting to see those chains being broken as more information has come into the world. So a lot more, I believe, independent Black people or people moving away, they see as all a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. But you mentioned something about sort of like the social programs and I guess the welfare state and how that's affected the community. Um, and I've seen some statistics from the 60s. Like, I think black woman was more likely to get married than a white woman back in the 60s. Now yep. it's like, mm-hmm. obviously, extremely different. How is that perceived in the black community? And how do you think you change those things? Oh, yeah. So uh, in communities like Detroit, Chicago, some of these mostly black cities, uh, you're right. In the 50s and 60s, there were more two parent households. There were more jobs. You were able to work one job and still get a house, a car, you know, they have a family. A lot of that went away. And then when you usher in the 70s and 80s and even 90s drug era, when we started to see a lot of that uh, pushed into the black community, I think that economically hurt. I think that started the whole, you know, stereotypical like Reagan had back in the day, the welfare queen. 
so to say. That started that stereotype. But it's a nuanced argument because on one hand, I think I believe in a free market. I think, you know, people should be able to make their own decisions with lower taxes, less government, more freedom to do what you want. The problem is we didn't start there because corporate socialism, they just got billed out trillions of dollars twice in my lifetime. So if there's going to be some sort of money given back, if we're going to pay taxes, essentially, is what I'm saying, and the money's being distributed, then yeah, you should have government programs for uh, lower end class people because the higher class people are getting millions and billions. But if we could stop that tax system where everybody is paying into it, but most people aren't getting the benefits, then yeah, it should be free market and none of the government assisted funds would even come about because anytime the government has to run, it's always a shitty program. I mm-hmm. mean, government uh, assistance with a lot of it has, you know, ostracized, especially in the black community. If you, let's say, had government housing, there was no man could live in the house. If the, if a man lived in the house and a worker or somebody who audited came by and saw that, they would kick you out. So that got rid of a lot of black parents or black dads in the 60s and 70s when that was implemented, which if you look at statistically, the best statistic there is for a successful child is having a father in the home. So that started, you know, a whole, you know, thing from there. So these things I believe can be worked out. The problem is where we're at now, as far as getting free things, so to say, from the government, it's such a small percentage, it's nothing compared to corporate socialism. Oh, I mean, no doubt. I mean, the amounts of money that a lot of these, you know, corporations are getting are absolutely mind boggling. And it's such a pittance compared. I mean, it like the amount that are you know, brought into almost anything else is a pittance compared to what they're getting. But in a sense, is that message getting through, right? Like, because in a sense, what Bitcoin allows you to do is to sort of opt out of that whole system and, you know, not be subject to inflation. They can inflate away and print more money. So, you know, these large corporations and very rich people get even more money. But by opting out of that system, you have a separate ledger almost. Like, is that an argument that is appealing to this community? I believe it's appealing to the sector of the community that has the information. So Mm -hmm. if you just bring it up in conversation, if the group you're around, they don't really know about Federal Reserve or they don't Mm -hmm. understand how economics works, they'll kind Mm -hmm. of just look at you like, what? But if (laughs) if you get a group of people who understand Federal Reserve and how money works, and then you're like, well, there's a different system, they're always interested. They're always like, hold up, so this is... You know, this is you don't need, you know, a third party. You don't need somebody's permission. No. Mm -hmm. And whenever that starts to come about, I think even though it's less people, they stick like they always are like, okay, well, now that I've heard about Bitcoin, like we always say, go down the rabbit hole. They usually don't think there's any other solution that will work because, I mean, when you explain it to people, I was like, what has worked with black people? Mm -hmm. If you we want to talk about solutions. The Civil Rights Act hasn't done anything. In fact, most of the rights from that have gone to white women. The actual actual social benefits that supposedly black people take all the time, by percentage, black people take more by in large numbers. Actually, the white population has more government assistance than anybody else. So all these things we've tried, people have invested in real estate. People start investing in gold. People have opened businesses. All of these things have, have been going on, but the median wealth of black people today is the same as the 60s. So what exactly is a solution that goes away from what we've seen before? And Bitcoin is the only one that we haven't really tried in mass. And I think once the red pill, so to say, is swallowed by the black community, I think Bitcoin would be a no brainer. I think our kids will look back 20 years from now and say, were you all really debating this shit? Were you you actually saying that the scarcest money in the world had no chance of succeeding? 
even after a decade of everything that can be thrown at it being thrown at it and it still has pushed through you know the, and you didn't think that would be a better system than the one that was literally against you the system was built for you to be poor so yeah i think it'll be a no-brainer in the future but just got to keep working at it i'll keep my mouth running as well as others <laughs> yeah that's a really good point because in a sense like trying to educate people about money itself it, that's like the thing that a lot of people don't get it is a system rigged against them unless you happen to be in the very very top you're almost always going to have to work much harder in order to just you know, stand still or be in the same place that you were. And there's a sense in which a lot of people sort of know it intuitively, but they don't really understand why that is. And I can see from your book that you try to explain that as well. But how do you get that through specifically to the Black community? Usually I ask whenever I'm talking to Black people and they're asking about the money system, the first thing I ask them is, do you trust the government? It's an overwhelming no. Like nobody trusts them, but they don't know why they don't trust them a lot of times outside mm -hmm. of the racial aspect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they may say, hey, yeah, we understand, you know, government has done this. We've seen enough evidence to show that there's a coordinated attack against certain black communities. Yeah, we understand that. But what do you mean with money? And then when I explain it on a broader scale, it's like, hey, we're all getting fucked. We literally just don't know about it. Once you start, you know, small and then kind of move up to what the Federal Reserve is, I think people understand it simply because the way I explain it is you could buy a burger for 50 cent, you could get gas for you know a quarter back in the day. The only reason the prices have increased is because this was on purpose. The only reason everything keeps going up in price, but your pay is staying the same, it's a plan. This is planned for it, for it to work out this way. And so once people sort of see that, they sort of get it. And you know when you offer a solution after that, which is Bitcoin, I think that resonates more because I've heard people talk about Federal Reserve before. I've heard people talk about, you know, how our money is tainted and how everything is rigged, but there's no solution after it. They just say it and you're like, okay, so <laughs> so then now what? And they're like, oh, well, just keep your head down and hope nothing bad happens. It's like, what, the, what am I going to do with that information? Hmm. So when you offer a solution, I think that resonates, especially with the older crowd, because they're more like, okay, well, tell me what to do. You know, a lot of the theory and the the hope and all of the talking is done a lot by younger people, but the older people are kind of like, all right, well, just tell me what to do. So I like that aspect. And in the Black community, it seems to be resonating well. Just got to get the, the word out more, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And how would you say that the community has responded so far? I mean, I know there's like the Black Bitcoin conference or blockchain conference, I, I forget, mm -hmm. but yep. I spoke mm -hmm. at it a couple of years ago. But, you know, it's not like become a quote unquote black thing yet. You know, like where are you in where are we in that process of, you know, getting it adopted, if you will? Oh, yeah. So if I had to use the adoption curve, I think we're, you know, in the early adoption stage. But I think we're in the education stage of money and Bitcoin because I think people know about it. I think it's been marketed and in the 2017 bull run and enough media. A lot of black people have heard of it, but they still think that it's only for, you know, hackers who wear hoodies and live in their mom's basement. <laughs> you know, it's sort of this technological thing where they think it's complicated. And I always say Bitcoin is complex, but it's not complicated. The use case for Bitcoin is there and the tools needed have been upgraded so much since 2013. It's very simple to get involved with Bitcoin today, like literally download an app and, and you can go. So I think once you take away that fear, showing people that it's just as easy as any other payment system, as a store of value, it's even better because you have more control over it. 
it's just education. It takes time. And I think if I had to get put a time limit on, I say it would take I say it would take a recession and maybe a year for black people to say completely, all right, we're wiping our hands of this system. This is over. So whenever that is, I think the next recession may be looming around the corner. Who knows, depending on this election and, and how things shake out in the world. But I think those factors will push people to a point where they're like, okay, all right, we definitely can't get caught in this again. And I think that time is coming soon. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of crises that sort of drive a lot of adoption, I guess. And that certainly seems to be the case here. I mean, how do you see this playing out? Because obviously there's a lot of you know, racial strife going on and things like that. What's the sort of scenario that you foresee with Bitcoin and what's going on right now? Oh, yeah. So I believe Bitcoin, I think we beat all the small bosses and we're moving to the big boss. (laughs) (laughs) If I could use some video game terms, Mm -hmm. I believe all of the the China bans and the sort of, you know, risque ICO market and sort of the little scams that are going on. I think all that stuff, we've beaten that. We've beaten the media scrutiny, even at this point. Some of the media is like, yeah, Bitcoin is great, which is hilarious to see. <laughs> mm. I think we've beaten all the little bosses, but the big boss, the Federal Reserve, some of the big private institutions, I think that is where Bitcoin is headed. And to get ready for that fight, in my opinion, it takes the people to to adopt it. Because at the end of the day, anytime you have sheep for a population, they're going to just go with the status quo. I think that time is changing because a lot of people are starting to realize I'm on my own out here. This system is not built to protect anybody, me or my family. So if I have to be self-sovereign, I think Bitcoin will be the best option. So I think we're there in mindset, but just in action, it's going to take a little while. How long do you think it'll take? <laughs> I give it a year. I think, you know, I don't like to talk about Bitcoin's price as much, but mm-hmm. let's say Bitcoin's price passes the all-time high in the next six months. Mm-hmm. Then you couple that with economic downturn in America. I don't think there will be a soul alive who won't own at least a small amount of Bitcoin, anybody who has access to the internet. Because those catalysts, even though the price is something you know I don't like to talk about a lot, it is the candy and the medicine. People see that price go up, all of a sudden they're like, okay, so this is really real. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, yeah, it's been real before that. But, <laughs> but yes, and I think when you couple that again with sort of the uh, economic downturns, it's staring us right in the face. It's people that you know got a $1,200 check uh, to last them for months. And on top of that, lost their job. And on top of that, other things have happened. But I think that price movement will be like the final blow. And then from there, it'll just be Bitcoiners like us bragging and then other people trying to figure out how to get involved. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would be amazing. There is this aspect of Bitcoin that it is a savings technology, that it does motivate you to sort of plan long term. How much of that do you think will ultimately benefit the Black family? Because as you said, like once all of these welfare programs and you know social security programs and all, all this that started in the 60s, right? I think it was called the Great Society programs. Yeah, you know, the Black family has suffered significantly. And you know, part of it seems, at least to me, like... Yeah, it's a lot of high time preference thinking. Does that change? Do you see, I guess, more, you know, black fathers and black families, you know, I guess, investing into their families with, you know, having a nest egg and having some sort of plan and strengthening the community? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In my community, especially now, it's not going to be on the news, but Mm -hmm. in my immediate circle and, you know, even broader hundreds of black men that I know, they definitely take it more serious simply because a lot of the examples we have were fatherless homes, broken communities based on that. And we take it personal 
that the next generation won't have to deal with that. And I think mm-hmm. with the high incarceration rate, with the drug problems that happened, you know, in the decades preceding us, those things are going away, so to say, in the black community with black men. So as far as taking care of the future and getting things going, absolutely. And I think, you know, as a solution, Bitcoin is a saving solution. And I think that is also considered because once again, when you look at savings account, there is no better performing asset of the last decade. So if you're serious about your family and creating generational wealth, I think that's only it's only right that that's a part of your strategy. So, yes, I think in the black community that's changing definitely. But unfortunately, you probably won't see it in the news. You probably won't see it. <laughs> I mean, you won't see it in mainstream media. You know, for some reason, a lot of media has a hard on with making black men seem inferior and everything we're doing wrong. And Demonic was the word yeah, I would use. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they demonize the black community so much and black men and women. It's hilarious because when I go outside, I have hundreds of family members extended to, you know, even thousands more friends. I don't have people around me that aren't focused on finances, who don't take care of their kids. Like that doesn't even exist in my world. So when I see it, uh, you know, in the outside world, I understand it does exist in pockets, but nowhere near as bad as the media makes it seems. Almost like COVID. <laughs> yeah, there's a sense of like media sort of, you know, uh, back to this sort of like class and race, you know, conflation where they only show really like really poor, unsuccessful black people instead of, you know, people like yourself. You know, you're about to be a dad, you have a family, you're planning for the future, you're trying to, you know, like make a better community around yourself and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like What's going on there? Like, is it in the media's interest to sort of make everyone believe that black people are poor and that they can't, they don't have any agency and that they're going to be kind of stuck there and they need, you know, the government's help to save them or something like that? Oh, yeah. That is a very coordinated attack. Yeah. It's one of those things where the media, like, like you just said, okay, if you turn on the six o'clock local news and you say, hey, we have a black dad here who just got a retirement account for their kid and just purchased a new home and is focused on their finances. Everybody will fall asleep. That's boring. <laughs> Nobody cares about that shit. <laughs> they uh-huh. want to see who got shot, who's in the gang, who's the drug kingpin. That's what they want to see on local news. So it's part ratings, but it's also a narrative that I believe feeds into the broader scheme because the Democratic Party runs a lot of, in my opinion, runs a lot of the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Who would they help if they make it seem like Black people are always destitute? You need our help. You need us. You can't do it on your own, which to me is very insulting. Uh, You can't make it without us. You need our politicians. I think that is a coordinated attack. And I just think on the other side, the Republican side, they're like, oh, we just don't think about you. And which is fine. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) that's the difference is like, yeah, of course, the racial element is there. But I think for the most part, it's just like, I just don't think about you because I don't have to, which is fine. I don't care. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. think about other communities that much because I'm not involved with them as much. But that's mm-hmm. fine. I have no ill will towards anybody. So I think on both sides, you have politicians who use the media to say, hey, black community, we see what's happening to you. We need to help you and give us your hand and we can. And it's like, get out of my face. You know, we can solve it on our own because you don't see talk about, you know, Prince George County in Maryland. One of the richest counties in the country is 90 percent black. You don't hear about, you know, a lot of uh, black communities in California. In, in L.A. where I was in Ladera Heights, you have plenty of black millionaires living just fine. I mean, and, and it's just one of those things where they're not going to be on the news. They're not going to nobody's going to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on the outside looking in, you may think black people are always destitute. But if you actually go outside and live real life, you would see that we have just as much agency as anybody else. 
we're doing just fine if we're left alone. And some of the problems that we face do need to be solved, but it is nowhere near as overblown as what we see in the media. Yeah, it seems like, you know, Black America, at least, you know, is a natural fit with, you know, lowercase l libertarianism, right? Like, just leave Mm -hmm. me alone, right? Like, instead of, you know, having all these policies that are, you know, discriminating against me and so on, just leave me alone so I could go through my own thing and, you know, I'll leave you alone. Like, that would seem like a very natural fit, yet, I don't know, at least my perception of it is that that isn't nearly as popular as it kind of feels like it should be. Hey, man, let's make it popular, Jimmy. The, the, the leave me alone party coming 2024. <laughs> that's literally, that's as simple as you can put the most prosperous time in Black community history. Like mm-hmm. the late 1800s was the most prosperous time in our, well, that's when we had the Black Wall Streets in mm-hmm. Tulsa and Wilmington and Florida and Georgia. When you hear about these communities that were very prosperous, hundreds of businesses, had their own airport, had you know a strong middle class, they were left alone until, unfortunately, because of racism, they were literally bombed to death, burnt mm. down to the ground with fire, thousands of people murdered. This happened to the Black community. So that is why you have the, yeah, leave us alone. But in the back of our head, where I was like, they're never going to let Black people prosper that much <laughs> because you might blow us up. Literal bombs were dropped in Tulsa. That's sort of the scared nature that you sort of see. But absolutely, I believe most Black people, if you talk to them, and you say, hey, do you realize like if we were left alone government wise and a lot of this regulation that's in our way, the money that you're looking for that is supposedly, you know, leaving our community would be there because you wouldn't be overtaxed and then not see anything in return. You wouldn't have money going towards, for example, a lot of black people see the police force as something on the outside coming in and, and infiltrating and messing up our communities. The taxes that pay for that come directly from you. You're funding your own oppression. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> you don't have a choice where the money goes. So yeah, that's the reason police can show up in military style vehicles just to do a, a warrant on a small family, you know, a no knock warrant or whatever. So some of those things come as a result of you're feeding a system with money that if left alone, you would not fund that system. If you literally had a choice, you wouldn't say, no, I don't want police that are going to do no knock warrants. They're shooting people. They're killing people for no reason. You know, they're covering up a, a lot of the the things that they're doing, yeah, you wouldn't fund it. So, yeah, I think the Leave Me Alone party come in 2024. Me and you, Jimmy, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I for me, that's what Bitcoin kind of represents. It's just sort of leave me alone. And, you know, instead of meddling with my money and inflating it and doing all sorts of things to it, you know, I get something that they can't mess with. And it's part of that whole system where, you're not taxed to fund stuff that you don't like. You know, you pay for the things that you want. You know, I guess that's the whole idea behind like a Bitcoin Citadel. So I mean, maybe what you're sort of advocating for is like a black Bitcoin Citadel, right? Like where you pay for, you know, security forces that will do what you want them to do instead of what, you know, following the orders of the mayor or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and both a brick and mortar Citadel solution Mm -hmm. type thing is great, but also digital because you can burn down Black Wall Street. You can't burn down Bitcoin. And Mm. I say that often simply because from a digital strategy standpoint, if you have a network of Black people around the world working together in different countries, you know, to keep out colonialism and some of the other things that come as a result of the system we have now, then you can have a strong force that keeps out outsiders who want to see you do harm and want to take away whatever power you have. Absolutely. And I think 
if we're going to be mainstream, the black community is going to have to be involved. So that Citadel, the Bitcoin Citadel itself, if there are places like that around the world, which I hope they are at some point, they'll be perfectly fine for our community as well as others. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting that I learned recently is that the biggest growth in homeschooling is actually among Black Americans, which I did not realize. But that's very much in the spirit of leave me alone, because I I don't want to take your crappy public schooling. I want to educate my kids myself and do something that, you know, that are more in alignment with my values instead of the values that you're shoving down my throat. You know, so in a sense, there is sort of this, you know, push towards independence that the black community seems to be going towards. Absolutely. And I'm a homeschool baby. I was homeschooled by my mom early on because she was a teacher. And, you know, currently we work together with a nonprofit called Innovative Learning that she started. And that's sort of what we're trying to return back to the independence of remote learning, learning in small groups at home. Because we both have worked in, I I was a public school teacher. My mom has been for 25 years, my aunt, my grandmother. They've seen how crappy public school is. When you're given an educational system that is, for the most part, very, you know, centralized to, who is it? I forget the name of it, the company that makes the books, but like Texas Instruments. And it's it's only like three companies that make like all the books and all the materials. You're going to get something that doesn't benefit the black community. And More black teachers, more homeschooling, I think, is a natural step because public schools where I grew up at were so terrible. You know, you can't pay for private school a lot of times. Homeschooling may be the best option. So, yeah, definitely see that there and definitely plan on homeschooling my daughter in the future. Oh, wow. Still don't understand why vouchers aren't that popular because like a lot of like these charter schools and things like they're doing fantastic. They take the same exact students that are going to these failing public schools and you know, I mean, they prove that they're, you just need like different education methods and things like that, and they can thrive. Absolutely. I'm with you there. And as a teacher, one of the things I learned was every child has the ability to learn. So at what level is a different story, but every child has the ability to learn, start where they are and go from there. I think public school is so cookie cutter. You have some kids who can't read as well as others, but they're like, oh, we'll we'll pass them anyway. And if you keep just getting past, you know, no no child left behind, that sort of started that whole wave of just passing kids forward. It got (laughs) to the point where I was a high school teacher and I had a 10th grader who couldn't write a complete paragraph. And then when you look back at their schooling or ask their parents, they're like, yeah, they just always passed them. Kept giving them C's and D's and just like, all right, go to the next. So, yeah, I think when you have either smaller charter schools, smaller classrooms in general, even with the whole COVID crisis, now we have remote learning. I think that was a big indicator that a lot of kids, I wouldn't say young kids, but a lot of kids, high school, middle school, they can learn, you know, on the fly and still have maybe a supplement there with uh, with a tutor and do just fine. So, you know, schooling and, and homeschooling is, is a great new thing that I think it should be big in the black community. Mm. How do you feel about college? Because in a sense, it's really expensive now. And the returns economically are getting kind of questionable. How do you feel about that in the Black community? Oh, yeah. So in the Black community, it was, you know, 100 years ago, you were not allowed to go to college. So it was a sign of pride for my grandmother and my mother for me to go to college. But my mom always thought I was weird because after two weeks of being in college, I told her, I'm only getting this degree for you. I hate college. It's a waste of time. I can do 
you know, I can figure stuff out on my own. So I've had that mindset since I was 17. And one thing I've always said about college is the things I think should happen is college should be cheaper, but the standards should be higher. Meaning we should almost create a system of colleges where most people don't go to college. They go to community colleges. They go to smaller schools or they start their trade earlier. And at that point, if colleges have, you know, sort of more higher standards at that point, to me, most people would be going to college for things to be a lawyer, to be a doctor, to be an engineer, to do something. We have way too many people going to school to be, I don't know, whatever the the liberal arts or whatever the majors are where you don't really get any jobs after it. Mm. That is the point of college. But I think because of online learning, the ability to take two or three courses and have a job in six months. Why would you go to college at 18 right now? If I was 18 and I was thinking about college in a tech world that we live in, there would be little to no chance that I go to college right now. Um, From a networking standpoint, I love college. It was great for me. My business partner, I met him in college. Two of my best friends met him in college. So I understand the networking aspect. But if you added up all the hours of just partying and bullshitting and not really doing anything, could have got a lot more done if I was in an internship or working at a specific thing that I wanted to do. So, you know, I, I think that there is no 100% correct way to describe college. I just think go there if you have a mission. If not, stay at home or, or go to community college. Yeah, there's a certification that is valuable, like uh, being certified as a doctor, for example, I think right. is is definitely useful. But there are lots of other majors where you're not really getting certified for anything. And in a sense, it, it feels a lot like indoctrination. And it's not actually like teaching you anything to any new skill that you can use. Absolutely. And I've joked with some of my younger siblings, uh, cousins, that went to college and I was like, yeah, you sound extremely smart when you talk, but you don't have any job opportunities. <laughs> like you don't, you're still 24, 25 trying to figure it out. And I was like, that's the point I was trying to tell them about college. I was like, yeah, me and you know some of my older siblings went, but it was sort of a sense of pride for our parents. I mean, I literally took my diploma, handed it to my mom. I have not seen it since 2011. <laughs> I really did not care about it because I realized the game. I was like, I'm paying all this money yearly to learn things that in the tech world, being from a tech background, I was learning it just from showing up at conferences or going to meetups or doing stuff online. I was like, I really had a skewed thought process about college. I was like, I don't need any of this. But now that that, you know, quote unquote, source of pride in college is like, okay, well, anybody can get into college now. People are starting to realize if you look at markets, hey, the supply of college is, is way too broad now. So the value isn't where it used to be. Anybody can get into college. So I think that thought process has gone away. And I think that'll affect future generations, definitely. Mm, yeah, I'm really hoping that there's a trend of you know new education sources where you don't have to go spend four years like learning and getting a degree that doesn't really mean anything. And instead, you have something more focused, like you said, where, you know, six months and you have like a job that that's really good or Maybe six months later, you have the skills and the ability and, you know, financing maybe even to go start your own business and create something that's, you know, that other people want. That to me would be the way to rebuild, you know, like the devastation that you are seeing out of this economic crisis. Absolutely. Uh, Cheaper to get involved and way better risk reward, I would say. And why not use some of these colleges? that I believe will be empty at a certain point. Much like banks, I think, will be empty like they are now. Use some of these colleges for remote learning for kids in middle and high school where they can go there, they can learn on campus. You know what I mean? Like, 
a lot of this is overblown. I don't think many of these colleges will see the enrollment that they've seen before because college loans are, man, that's they're out of hand. And I just don't mm. think the next generation are going to willingly go into debt for something that doesn't pay off. Yeah, it's almost like a union card or something that a lot of people feel obligated to do, except like, you know, you don't necessarily need it. I still remember like interviewing at Google and the guy that was interviewing me hadn't even graduated high school. And he was like, yeah, I just got into this. I was like, oh, okay. I guess I spent my college years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, because Google doesn't care. Facebook doesn't care. A lot, of, a lot of these companies don't care. They just want talent. And uh, that's a very different thing than getting a certification. I mean, certain certifications are, are you know, useful and necessary, I think, but that in particular, yeah, it's kind of crazy. All right, so what are your predictions for Bitcoin in the next five to 20 years? All right, so five years from now, 2025, I think Bitcoin will be the reserve currency of a lot of major companies. Like MicroStrategy, we're seeing, I believe that was like the kickoff point. I think we'll look back in history and see that as the kickoff point for that. I believe the price of Bitcoin, if I had to give them, will be past six figures. And simply because in five years, kids that are 12 and 13 right now will be adults. And, you know, they'll be at a point where their store value will not be gold or silver. It'll be Bitcoin. And I think, you know, the term hyper Bitcoinization, I don't like to say it often, but Mm -hmm. Just the fear of missing out, the FOMO that'll come with speculation as well as the use case will be so grand by in five years, it will be at six figures. In 20 years, if I had to give a prediction, 2040, <laughs> this may be a little bit out there, but I think there'll be Bitcoin citadels and Bitcoin based economies, small economies all around the world. Mm -hmm. And it'll be sort of a physical network with a digital backing and I don't really see us going backwards from now. It's already started. We have, you know, a whole Bitcoin country that was created. We have Bitcoin embassies. All of this will increase. So in 20 years, Bitcoin will be more of a, uh, you know, economy, so to say, around the world, more of a unit of account. Mm. All right. Where can people find you, Isaiah? Oh, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter mostly at Bitcoin Zay, Z-A-Y. You can also visit BitcoinInBlackAmerica.com to purchase the book. And I do want to make an announcement. I do have the second edition of the book. The pre-order starts on October 5th. So the second edition of the book will have seven new chapters, all new solutions, 200 plus black blockchain professionals, a lot of great information in there. So you can find me at Bitcoin and Black America or Bitcoin Zay on Twitter. All right. Well, thank you for this conversation. Hopefully we can, we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Love it. I appreciate it, Jimmy. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Isaiah can be found at @bitcoinzay and bitcoinandblackamerica.com. Until next time, fiat belinda est. <laughs>